I'm Don Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. You're in the Transporter Room, not just intergalactic, but international edition. We're going to be taking you to London, where we're going to talk to researcher and runner, Joanna Harper. She's got a new paper that answers the question about transgender athletes, transgender women, and hormone levels. A lot of controversy, a lot of questions, and Carly Webb had a nice long sit down with Joanna to talk about that and so many other things. That'll be coming up in just a few minutes. But Carly, I'm really proud to have had almost zero blowback, just a few trolls and turfs, to an article that I wrote, a guest column in USA Today about the women's sports policy working group. I wanna make sure I get their name right. You know, they want to forge a path toward inclusion for transgender athletes, but there's some problems here. Don must say, enjoyed the article number one. Uh, it was an excellent article. Congratulations on your first national column in a national newspaper. Thank you. And in the nation's newspapers, no <laughs> the <less>. McPaper <laughs> USA Today. <sighs> yes, and hotel guests all across the country. But you know, it, what was really important to me was when Christine Brennan wrote her article about the working group in February. She interviewed people from the working group and they talked about transgender athletes. She didn't have one transgender voice in the entire piece. She didn't talk to one ally of transgender athletes. And I felt that needed to be corrected. That was my main motivation for writing that story. As expected, you did what journalists do. You shed light where there's darkness. And that's one of the problems that I've seen with, the, with a lot of the reportage is that how in the world are, you know, in the disability community, it said that nothing about us without it. Without us, exactly. And I, and I, I think, and, and if there's, if there's one thing that also applies to trans folks, it's that. And like I said, it was a, I mean, it was a well put together article. And one thing, we may disagree on some of the particulars and some of the minutia and the final points, but I do stand with you, and I stand with our guest interview today. Yeah, Joanna's that we one of the need supporters. Yeah, that we need to come together to find solutions. To me, the only the only thing I really disagree with them on is that they're trying to make those for trans rights equivalent to TERFs. No, and there's yeah. no equivalency there to me. And they want to use words like biological male, and they are so full of anti-trans propaganda on their website. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. And no, it one doesn't. other thing. One other thing. We stand with Kirsty Miller. And Kirsty, if you're listening. You decided that you just can't have a conversation with people who don't 100% agree with you. And that's just sad. But we're here. Outsports is here. We're actually all fighting the same fight. And hopefully you'll realize that we're stronger together than apart. And we can agree to disagree and we can do so amicably. Yeah, that's and, and and I'll say this. I'll admit, I I will fully admit, because Don, you know me. I, I, I own my biases. I do. There have been a lot of times I've looked at Joanna Harper and I'm wondering, whose side are you on? But I can tell you. <laughs> no, I can tell you. Getting a chance to really talk to this excellent researcher and a, and a pretty good runner. Yeah, she's and, an athlete. And yeah, and somebody who is an athlete and somebody who really gets it. I found my, I find that that Joanna Harper and I are sitting in the same pew in a lot of ways and are, and are singing from the same hymn book. And she's in many, food. many ways. And that may be a surprise to some people in the working group who think she's not. 
Well, yeah, that's the one thing that struck me is that being told that she's not for inclusion. And I, I, she has caveats. She she wants to make sure that it's fair. And we've talked about this. Fairness means that there are rules that you compete according to the rules and that the rules are themselves fair. Casa Semenya has been competing according to the rules and then they changed the rules on her. Andrea Yearwood, Terry Miller, Cece Telfer, so many other, Chris Mosier, so many other amazing trans athletes compete according to the rules. Caster is a separate person. She's not trans. She's um, a woman who has always been a woman, and yet they're imposing rules on her as if she were a man. And I just got to say, in terms of this group, if they would have come out and do what we are doing, fight these states like South Dakota, which has just passed another anti-trans athlete bill. By the time you hear this, it might be law. I'm telling you, if the working group wants to be for inclusion, then stand with us against these laws. And that's my feeling on it. To me, you can't divide these fights. One builds on another one and builds on and builds on another and builds on another. Don, you know, I say often you're either for human rights or you're not. That's right. And by the, and by the fourth principle of Olympism, this is United. This is the International Olympic Committee here. The practice of sport is a human right. That's right. It's and a direct it quote to there. be International Women's Day, the day we're recording this. And I just want to say, and Carly, I am proud to know you as one of the women I look up to. I'm proud to know you as well. And I'm proud to know, I'm, I'm proud of especially women in sport who blaze trails, who blaze paths, who, who put up with the chauvinism. Yeah. Who put up it. with the indignities, the indignities of like a Catherine Switzer. They're trying to pull her off the road during the Boston Marathon. That's an indignity. But In if, it, was, if it wasn't yeah. for that, yes. And if, but if it wasn't for that, yeah. if it wasn't for, for her braving that anyway, there are, there's a whole generate, there's generations of great athletes who probably would have never gotten the shot. If it, you know, I was just thinking about that actually today. What's because that? I was reading, I was reading an article on the forgotten protest of the 1968 Summer Olympics in Mexico City. Mm. People talk about John, John Carlo, Tommy Smith, and John Carlos, but another American athlete who won two gold medals also protested on that. Also raised a silent protest on the victory stand, and that was what, and that was sprinter Wyoming Atias. Wyoming Atias, the next, the next, who at the time was the heir to legend. She was the heir to the legends of Wilma Rudolph and to where and to where Wilma came from. The probably the most underreported great college program of our era, the Tennessee State Tiger Bells women's track and field team. Coached by Ed Temple, the first African American coach of a US Olympic team ever. And that was in 1960 in Rome. Think about that. We still didn't have voting rights. That was four years before the Voting Rights Act passed. Four years before the Civil Rights Act passed. That was four years before, that was four years before four, four little girls in a Birmingham church in the wow. Edmund Prentice Bridge. That's where we were. Mm-hmm. But that track program produced more Olympic, produced as many Olympic medals as any Power Five program has since. And this is a tiny, historically black college in Tennessee doing this. How bad was this? That was, he was winning championships and winning kudos through Jim Crow 15 years before Title IX was implemented. This is why it's important to study 
not only women's sports history, but black sports history, history. Folks, know your yes. history. Know your but, history. We're going to have some history right here. Joanna Harper's first podcast on the Outsports Network is coming up after we pay some bills. You're in the transporter room. We'll be back. We're back to the transporter room. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb, along with Don Ennis. And coming up now, an interview that I had this past weekend. It was on Saturday morning where I got to sit down to a very special guest and, in my mind, one of the most important people in sports right now. Joanna Harper is a competitive athlete, is a noted researcher on, on athletic and sports science, and is a transgender woman. And her voice in much of the quote-unquote debate about this has been, in my mind and in many minds, underreported. But the research she's done and the research she has just recently wrote a paper on is important, groundbreaking, groundbreaking stuff that I think more people need to know about. So that's why this past Saturday I had the opportunity to sit down with her one-on-one. Let's begin this interview by, by actually delving into this. What is here and what is not here? Okay, so the first thing that's important to understand is that all of the studies reviewed here are studies of non-athletes. So, um, so that, that's a really important caveat. In terms of making decisions about sports, there's only so much that you can gather, uh, so many conclusions you can reach using data from non-athletes. But, but that's the data that exists, and so that's the data we reviewed. That would be the, the first thing. The, the second thing, if you look at the abstract, you see two things. One is that hemoglobin levels go uh, in trans women will change from typical male to typical female within three or four months. And, and that's uh, a, a huge change and it affects all endurance sports. And, and in fact, any sport where you're being active for more than a very few minutes. So th that is, is certainly a large change. The, um, uh, the other thing that if you look at the abstract, you will see is that even after hormone therapy, trans women will have, again, non-athletic trans women will have greater strength, lean body mass, and muscle cross-section area than cisgender women. This is certainly something that, that I, I've known for a, a while, but having data to show it is, is another thing than, than just quote-unquote knowing. And, and that, of course, is, is the thing that all the opponents of, of trans inclusion are tweeting that, that yes, it is absolutely true that even after hormone therapy, trans women will on average be stronger than cis women. But now, then there's a whole bunch of details in the paper. Also within that, now having having heard all that, I wanna I wanna talk about the hemoglobin for a second. Sure. Now uh now 
quickly for those who may not be who may not be up to speed in terms of medical biochemistry what does it do and what's its effects over time in regards to say an endurance athlete as a plo- as opposed to say an explosion athlete for example hemoglobin is uh, red blood cell carrying uh, protein and so uh the hemoglobin level in your blood is very important for taking up and using oxygen. Having oxygen in your lungs doesn't do you very much good. You have to take it up into your muscles to, to use it for uh, aerobic activity. And, and it is the hemoglobin in your blood that allows you to do this. And it's perhaps the single most important reason why men outperform women in endurance events is the higher hemoglobin level. And and it's long been recognized that uh, hemoglobin levels are closely tied to testosterone levels. And so when trans women reduce their testosterone to to female levels, which is is what happens almost universally uh, when trans women undergo medical transition, uh, so when this happens, trans women will move from male levels of hemoglobin to female levels of hemoglobin. And um, that is, you know, extremely important for, for all endurance events. For an endurance athlete, this is what keeps an endurance athlete moving at a certain pace for a given time and be able to consistently do it. Correct. This interview is going to be one of the most educational things about what I do and why I'm doing it because I am an endurance athlete. I'm I'm a marathoner and a triathlete. So this is giving me a lot of insight into why my body is doing what it's doing. Because, I mean, for example, my mile time dropped 12%. You you mean increased, got slower, you got slower. Yeah, it got slower. Yeah, my mile time increased by 12%, I should say. Yes. And yes. for example, I mean, so that is that's the science behind what I'm seeing on my Strava. Yeah. And and, and, and it's not just you. You know, that's uh, that that sort of 12 percent is a number that I have seen over and over again uh, with uh, trans women uh, distance runners uh, and and even actually some some sprinter data. There's um, some things I, I don't want to talk about n- now, particularly b- because that's the next paper. But you know, it, it's not just in endurance athletes where we see this 12% slowdown. There is a lot of thing. There's a lot of personal experience that is kind of doving into my head, and it with what I'm hearing from you because. I do endurance things, but all I grew up as an explosion athlete and still do some things when explosions required. One, and one thing I've noticed in my own personal experience is I'm still about as far as like just straight line speed. I'm about the same as where I was before transition. Oh, I'm still fast. It's just that recovery times are going to increase. Within that, what are some of the other factors that you think both sides don't take into account into their arguments? There are a number of things that, that people don't look at. Um, uh, for instance, those who suggest that trans women have advantages because um, you know we are bigger and stronger on, on, on average, and, and, and that is true. But um, you know, first of all, uh, we allow advantages in sport. 
What we don't allow is overwhelming advantage. And then second of all, trans women also have disadvantages in sports. Our larger bodies are now being uh, <clears throat> propelled by reduced muscle mass and reduced aerobic capacity. And so that can lead to disadvantages in things like quickness and recovery uh, and any number of other factors that, that can occur. So, um, you know, if all you say is, oh, well, trans women have advantages, then you're missing a lot of the bigger picture. And, and the, the bottom line in this is, can we have meaningful competition between trans women and cis women? That, that question is not completely answered at this point, but um, certainly from, from my point of view, the, the, the data look favorable uh, to, to uh, allowing trans women to compete in women's sports. What would you define as quote as meaningful competition when you when you use that phrase? What do we what do you mean? Okay, so um, I, again, if we get back to this idea of advantages, advantages exist across sport, of course. Um, you, you know, LeBron James has all kinds of advantages over other basketball players. It's why he's great. In particular, if we look at at groups who may be fundamentally different from one another, but compete in the same category. And, and uh, in particular, for an American audience, I would reference left-handed baseball players versus right-handed baseball players. The, the layout of the, the diamond means that there are fundamental differences in how left-handed baseball players and right-handed baseball players play the sport. And left-handed baseball players are overall advantaged with respect to, to uh, right-handed baseball players. Left-handed people make up about 10% of the population, and, and yet 40% of the pitches thrown in Major League Baseball, 40% of the at-bats are taken by left-handers because they're advantaged in the sport. This shows that the advantage that the left-handed people have overall in the sport, but left-handed people can't play shortstop very well. Uh, you can catch the ball, but how do you get over to first base? Uh, and, and, and so um, there, there are all these subtleties involved and the, the game of baseball is better off because we have these two different groups with, with different advantages and disadvantages playing against one another. And nobody would suggest that left-handed players shouldn't be allowed in baseball despite their advantages. So that's what I mean by meaningful sport. On the other hand, we would never let a heavyweight boxer get in the ring with a flyweight boxer. The, there's no meaningful competition there. The heavyweight boxer wins every single time. So, so that's, that's the difference. In one case, in baseball, we can have two different groups, one you know, with advantages and disadvantages competing meaningfully in boxing, we can't. What is your thoughts on this, on what it seems to be the automatic default of if XYZ great male athlete moves over, they're going to be suddenly dominant? You know, LeBron James has been pretty dominant in the NBA. Um, yeah, and, and so in the WNBA, an, an ebony 
James, for instance, uh, if that's what LeBron were to choose uh, for, for a name, uh, Ebony James would be probably even somewhat more dominant. Um, however, you know, um, Ebony James would then be looking at probably a decrease in salary of about 98%. Um, so, you know, it, it's not likely to, that we'll see LeBron James in the WNBA, but um, but it, it's certainly true that in sports where height is, is important, um, you know, trans women do have that advantage. However, we haven't seen any trans women in the WNBA yet. Uh, and the WNBA is very open to allowing trans women in. And if trans women have all of these advantages and the WNBA is so willing to let trans women in, why haven't there been any trans women in, in, in the WNBA? It's not as simple as simply as having advantages. You know, um, and when you get back to Cece Telfer, it's one of the, the things that I, I, I most quote. Um, you know, Cece is the only trans woman who's won an NCAA championship, at least as far as we know. Um, and the NCAA put in rules to allow trans women to compete 10 years ago. It was 2011. Every year, there are more than 200,000 women competing in NCAA sports. Given the trans population, we should be seeing over a thousand trans women and a thousand trans men competing in NCAA sports every year. And we should see multiple trans champions every year, every year. Uh, and in 10 years, we've seen a handful of trans athletes and, and there are some more that we don't really know about. They're being protected by their universities, but, but still the numbers are extraordinarily small and we have one trans uh, champion in, in over 10 years. So, you know, even at the level of, of championship, trans women are hugely underrepresented in the NCAA 10 years after the NCAA put in the rules. You know, where is this domination of, of sports that, that one might expect to see? Now I want to talk about the Women's Sports Policy Working Group, or admittedly, I will fully own my bias on this one. I prefer to call them the Cisgender Women's Sports Policy Working Group. Yet, you are listed as a supporter. Why do you support this group? First of all, from a thematic point of view, I, I do believe in trying to reach some middle ground between those who say trans women shouldn't be allowed because they have advantages and those who say trans women should be allowed uh, unimpeded access to women's sport because trans women are women. So I, I think that I would like to see something in between those two positions. And that is the stated position of this group. Now, I, I'm would admit that I don't believe everything that this group says or everything they have written. Um, I, I would have some disagreements with them in that, but they are sincerely seeking a middle ground. And in a bigger picture, I, I think that um, the recommendations of this group are the best chance 
that the Equality Act has of passing the Senate. And the Equality Act is something that, you know, 50 years we've been trying to pass this act, uh, and it has never passed. It's never been signed into law. And if we can get it by the Senate this year, it, you know, Biden will sign it into law, and, and it will become the law of the land, protecting all LGBT people. And I truly believe that, that the amendment proposed by this group is the best shot for the Equality Act. And so that's why I support this group, even though I do have some reservations uh, about some things associated with the group. What are some of those reservations? The, you know, the obvious thing is with Martina, and, and I've met Martina, and, and Martina and I had a three-hour chat, and, and we, you know, it was a very reasonable conversation. But I, I certainly came away from our chat with the idea that I didn't change her mind at all. I, I got the idea that Martina, after talking to me, was still opposed to allowing trans women in sport. And, and now she's coming out and saying, well, no, uh, under certain conditions, I am uh, okay with, with allowing trans women in sport. And, and do I believe that, that Martina is being 100% sincere here? I have reservations about that, but Martina is supporting a policy that I support. And so rather than reacting saying, oh, well, if Martina's in favor of it, then I have to be opposed to it, um, I would say, Martina is the one who has moved here. She's moved to a position where she says, um, you know, I support the NCAA policy. And, and I, I agree, I support the NCAA policy on, on trans women. Uh, and, and so it's a big change for Martina. And, and I'm not convinced 100% that, that she's sincere, but she's supporting this policy and I support this policy. Does it give you pause, for example, that both in the case, for example, of Martina and Donna De Verona signed on to a letter and a position supporting getting rid of the very same NCAA regulations that you said in your conversation she now supports. Does that give you pause? Sure does. <laughs> um, uh, you know, as I say, um, uh, and, and I've met Donna uh, Deverona as well. I was not surprised that Martina signed the Idaho letter. I was quite surprised that Donna Deverona signed it, quite frankly. I would have thought that Donna's position was more similar to, to my position than Martina's. And, and so Donna Deverona's case, I, I, I'm more likely to believe that, that, that the Idaho thing was an aberration on her part. Um, but... Um, uh, <clears throat> yeah, uh, of course it gives me pause that, that both of these women signed uh, on to the side of the Idaho uh, divide that I, I bitterly oppose. Sure, of course it gives me pause. What about, for example, what you saw in Idaho that you oppose, that you, bitter, you said bitterly oppose? Bitterly oppose, yeah. The, you know, the bills that passed First of all, not only did they pass a bill disallowing trans women to compete in women's sport under any circumstances, they also passed a second bill. The second Idaho bill that was passed 
was one that basically restricted, that basically said you can't get your gender marker changed on documents. Right. That yeah. one also suffered a similar fate by a different federal court judge. And in fact, that ruling came down the same day that the HB 500 ruling on the, the HB 500 appeals ruling came down. They both, two separate federal judges basically said, these laws are facing an injunction right now. It's clear that a lot of the people who are opposing trans women in sports are doing so because of an anti-trans bias, not because they really care about sports. And that was abundantly clear uh, in Idaho. Why is, does there seem to be a reluctance for this working group to step in to some of these other issues as well? Because the, because of those 20 states that are looking at this, 15 of them have tandem laws. Ban, but also criminalize health care, make this restriction, make this other restriction. It seems to be going in a package deal. Why is there a reluctance by the working group to, in your mind, to also to fully step in this if, if they're looking for this middle ground? I, I think the, this group is, is narrowly focused and, and they intend to keep it that way because they are a, a, a true sports policy group. And, and that is the sole concern of this group. They are not a trans advocacy group. They're not a trans uh, opposition group either. They, they are what they say they are. They are uh, a group that is, is trying to reach uh, a, a policy compromise on trans women in sports and hopefully allow that compromise to pass the Equality Act. And, and that is their focus. They are, are not, and nor do they pretend to be trans advocates. In your mind, what, what's the difference between this group and a different group that you were on, mainly the world rugby process. Because to some people in the trans community, they're going to look at you and say, Joanna, come on. You, sa you said it yourself. World rugby had their minds made up before they even started the meeting. And to some trans people, this is looking the same. What is the difference here? World rugby came down uh, and they banned trans women from the sport at the international level. And we're actually originally recommending banding, banning trans women at lower levels in sport. They, they backed off from that ban when they found that there was no support from the, the national rugby federations. So this is a very different thing from saying, we support NCAA rules, we support IOC rules, we support allowing trans women into sport as long as they uh, undergo uh, hormone therapy to mitigate the advantages that they have gained through male puberty. So those are two very, very different positions. And, and yes, I absolutely uh, oppose uh, World Rugby's position of a ban of, of trans women in, in the sport of rugby, um, but that is not the, the position of the women's sport policy group. Why are there no trans people in their group in your mind? I understand you're a supporter. So is Juniper Eastwood. So, so is Renee Richards. But first off, is there kind of a level difference within the group between that, that gang of six in the working group and the supporters? How much of their ear do you have? And secondly, 
in your mind, what's your thoughts on the fact that, yes, you're a supporter, but when people see the front lines of the group, six cis people? You know, obviously, if you're talking about trans policy, it would be good to have a trans person uh, in your group. I agree that it would have been uh, better if they had a trans person in, in their core group. I certainly wasn't asked to be part of their core group. You know, I live in England now, and, and uh, I have plenty of battles to fight here in England. Um, and, and so I, I don't think that I would have been the person to be uh, a, a part of that core group. Um, and certainly at the time they formed the group, June was uh, June Eastwood was sitting on the sidelines and, and only recently decided to uh, to support that group. But but could June be made the seventh member of, of that group? Uh, would that be a good thing for them to do? Um, yeah, sure. Um, but that but that's a decision that's you know that's not for me to make. Um, but but yeah, I, I I think that if they were to elevate June to their their seventh core member, I, I think that would be great. You put you've put yourself out there for years in doing this research. And there and there are voices within trans communities. There are some prominent voices in this issue who look at you and say on the tame side of things, well, Johanna Johanna's nuanced, but we're not sure what size he's on. And at more pointed levels, some people have gone as far as turncoat when you may hear some of these opinions what are your thoughts on it from a personal gut level what's it like so one of the things you know i have waded into this very contentious debate and i've made it a central part of my life and and i've done so knowing just how contentious this is and so i, I think it's important that i keep a thick skin but but nobody likes to be called a traitor to their kind and sure, of course, it hurts me when when people say that. And yes, I'm aware that that I have been called, um, you know, a turncoat, an Aunt Jemima, uh, you know, whatever sort of thing you would wish to, uh, you know, to to label me as. Um, and, and you know, yes, of course, that that's painful. I, I'm, you know, as I say, I am balanced. I'm nuanced. That's that's what I try for. And, you know, uh, people whose only position is to advocate for trans people have some issues with me and, and I'm okay with that. I would prefer that they not try to make it personal, but, but if they do, I do my best to shrug it off, but it's not always easy. I noticed the nuance, but at the same time, I'll admit, I'm one of those people who often said, I'm not sure about this Harper person. I'm not sure where she's coming from. But I will say, hearing you and getting this chance to interact with you, I, in many ways, we, we sing from much of the same hymn book. I know that trans activists, is, trans rights activists is a dirty word. Me, it's a badge of honor because I see what's going on in issues beyond sport and in addition to sport. But also as an athlete, I also, I also look at things very much the way that you're laying out. I want to get a thought on this because I think it's a, this is I this is the biggest hole in the swing I see from say the Women's Sports Policy Working Group, using 
what's your thoughts on the on a group that's trying to find a middle ground, but one of the people in their group is going to state legislation speaking using terms like biological males? Um, I I don't know if if by that you're referring to Dorian Coleman, but um, if if you are, um, I'm referring me... to both Coleman. And I'm referring to Nancy Hogshead Maycar, who has used that, who's used that term at least two times in every interview she's done, in every in every testimony she's been she's she's done in state legislatures, and even in their own even in their own proposals that are on their website, they use that they use that term. They they do, and and certainly I would prefer that they don't. But let me give you an example. In 2019, Dorian and I were invited to be part of a working group by World Athletics, and they invited uh, sort of a, a British equivalent uh, person, a person from uh, Nicola Williams is her name. She probably heard of her. She's with Fair Play for Women. I'm, I'm going to show my bias here right now. Boo. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, so Dorian told the, the, the person who was chairing the committee that Nicola Williams should not be allowed in the meeting. Um, and so Nicola Williams did, uh, was allowed in the meeting, uh, but Dorian was virulently opposed to, uh, to Nicola being there and, and made no bones about it. Um, I was friendlier with Nicola that day than Dorian was and we all went out for dinner that night. Uh, Nicola chose not to join us. And Dorian said, boy, I'm sure glad she didn't come with us. Um, and, and so, you know, you know, the same thing that you're saying that Dorian doesn't want to see people at the table who don't believe in inclusion either. And while Dorian uses the term biological male, and quite frankly, I wish she wouldn't, but she uses it all the time. But she also says things like inclusive policies are some of the most important things that representative government should do. And, you know, uh, I, I think you should acknowledge that Dorian says those things. What's your view of what we're seeing in the UK? Not just in sports, but in, but it just seems in everything. The Emma Hiltons of the world, or rather the, you know, the fair play people and all the things, but even in the mass media in Britain. I mean, it seems like Pierce Morgan is railing about trans people at least every other day, if not every day. Uh, give me the inside view. What's it like being in trans and what what some people call turf islands right now? <laughs> so um, it's, it's interesting that the, the media representation um, here in England is there's there's a lot of uh, negativity in in the media representation, but but certainly um, in the world where I am in in academia, uh, certainly the majority of people in that world are uh, trans inclusive, and, and in fact uh, at my university um, there are. There are people who, again, would say, well, you know, Joanna Harper's not entirely, you know, with us because she's talking these nuanced things and, and we want to fight entirely for inclusion. You know, at my university, I might be considered one of the more, quote unquote, um, conservative voices, 
uh, on this topic, at, at least among those who are, are really centrally involved. Um, and, and so, you know, there are these two sides where in the university environment, there is huge support for trans inclusion, for, for trans um, rights, for, for trans people. I have met on a personal level, I've had huge levels of support from, from people I've met here in England. But but the media, yeah, the media is, is challenging. And then there are well-funded groups like Fair Play for Women, which, uh, you know, are every bit as bad as the ADF, if not worse. Is there ever a point where it gets for you, where you just uh, say, I'm out of this argument, I'm done. Y'all figure it out, but Joanne Harper's done. I just want to run. I just want to run, live my life, and not be in this. Well, not yet. Um, I, I do admit that I stay off Twitter as much as possible um, uh, because I, I certainly don't want to get into Twitter wars on uh, on this topic. Uh, but in general, in, in sort of person-to-person -person interactions, I try to stay as uh, involved as possible. Um, there are certainly times when I, I would like to say, I'd like to have a day when I don't talk about anything to do with gender and sports. And, and those days are increasingly rare, but, um, but still I, I do have a huge passion for the topic. And, um, and you know, it, it has become the central thing in my life and, and I assume will be for the next few years. Let's say that, for example, the IOC all the world governing bodies came together and said, okay, we want a working group that's representative. We want all stakeholders in the spectrum coming together. And Joanna, we want you in the lead. What policy would you want to see? First of all, I, I think that I would explicitly say at grassroots levels, uh, recreational sport, prepubescent athletes, we should absolutely just allow trans people and non-binary people to play in uh, whatever category they want. Again, when I say whatever category they want, I, I think that when we look at these, you know, grassroots levels of sport, I think we should look beyond just having men's sport and women's sport. There's all kinds of other things we could do to subdivide sport or not subdivide it. Uh, and the idea that you know, recreational sports have to be men's sport and women's sport. I think it's an antiquated idea uh, at, at recreational levels. And, and so I would say, let's be creative. Let's, let's look at ways that we can be inclusive of, you know, uh, gender expansive people for, for lack of uh, a better term, um, non-binary, uh, trans, you know, whatever term you want to use there. Uh, and, and let's try to create inclusive sport. So that would be the first, my first recommendation. The second thing that I would say is that if we're looking at policies uh, at the upper levels, at, at professional sport, at uh, the Olympic sport, for the very top performing athletes, I think it's extremely important that we have a women's category um, women don't win Olympic medals in, in almost any sport unless there's a separate women's category. So I, I think we need to look very carefully at the eligibility rules 
and that would concern both trans women and if we're talking about some sports um, intersex women as well and I, I think first of all I think we need more data and so what I would say to these groups is you need to fund more research I would say that anything that we can come up with in 2021 should not be considered a final answer I, I think that any policy developed now needs to, to be considered uh, a living document, something that we will make better once we get more data. And eventually, I think once we have more sports-specific, athlete-centric data, and, and if we just get back to my paper for the moment, that is one of the things I said in the conclusion, that future research needs to be sports-specific and athlete-centric. And if we do that, if we get more sports-specific, athlete-centric data, then I think we can come up with regulations for individual sports that would be necessarily different. And, and I think, for instance, that it's not unreasonable for world rugby to be more restrictive of trans women than world athletics is. But more restrictive is not the same thing as a ban. And, and I'm not sure exactly what these policies would look for. I, you know, you're saying you're putting, putting me in charge. I'm saying I don't have all the answers and, and nor does anyone else at this point. And, and so we got to do a lot more research. We have, a lot, have to have a lot more meetings and maybe 10 years from now, we can come up with some, some definitive answers. But till then, we got to do the best we can do with the data we have, with uh, you know, trying to balance inclusion with having meaningful sport for all women at very upper levels. And, and that's what I would say to this group that I'm now being put in charge of. <laughs> wow, Carly, I was really amazed by how thorough Joanna is. I mean, she made it very clear. These are not necessarily athletic women. These are not elite athletes. These are not studies that will conclude about elite trans athletes. And we're not talking about trans girls either here, but strength is not necessarily a negative thing. An advantage is not necessarily something that makes sports unfair. Michael Phelps had an advantage. Elena Deladon has an advantage. Usain Bolt has an advantage. Advantages are what everyone in athletics wants. They want to have the advantage. And I like the fact that she's very upfront about where her research concludes and she's still working on more research about trans athletes. As part of the research, she's looking for research subjects. And as a competitive athlete, I'm compelled to put my hand up. So Joanna, just so you know, I'm going to be sending you a lot of Strava data about stuff I've done, especially in these last four, four or five years or so, because I think it's important that we have research. We could always use more data. But I've said often that the best way you're going to get data Especially when you're talking about all these bands and bills, you gotta let you gotta let athletes play. You gotta let kids, especially the kids, let the kids play. Don't ban the kids. And now, I'm I'm I'm, I'm talking to all the legislators out there, especially those who are listening to the ADF. If they were talking about your child, how would you respond? I know at least a few of you are parents. I know at least a few of you are, and and. How would, your, how would you respond if people went after your child, for example, the way Donald Trump Jr. went after CeCe Telford? And I'm a mom, and I'll tell you this. I want my kids to succeed. 
I want my kids to be the best at everything. But I also know I've been telling them since they were very little, life isn't fair. Sometimes you lose. Sometimes you learn something more from losing than you do from winning. And it's important to understand about being a good sport and about recognizing and respecting the competition and trying harder. And more important than anything else, give your personal best. If that's the best you can do, that's the best you can do. And again, and one thing, especially from this interview I got, is that the importance of nuance and the importance of context. Like I, like I said, for a long time, I always, I would read some things and hear some things that Johanna said, read some, and, and so on, and some of the research, and I'm wondering, where is this person sitting? After this interview, I can tell you my eyes were opened. My, well, eye, my eyes were definitely opened. And I'm hoping that people will read the article you wrote about her research in Outsports.com. And I'm looking forward to having Joanna as one of our guests. We can have her tell us about her coming out story and talk about the um, amazing athletics that she's doing, even at her so-called advanced age. <laughs> That's one thing. I I also got so I also got tips from Joanna Harper on how to on on how to deal with the how to deal with transition and that and I thought you got I, your tits from hormone therapy. <laughs> you st- style you oh tips it. oh tips oh okay shut it <laughs> sorry I'm just no but sure. no but I got a lot no but I got a lot of insight in this in that one on one a great deal mm-hmm. of insight and yes also wrote a companion article on Outsports and I would encourage not just readers, but also other journalists to really, really dig into this thing. Yeah, dive into the research. Read really, the paper. Really dig into it. Real, I, And I mean, don't cherry pick it. Really dig into it because there's a lot there to look at. And again, I, it goes back to all. But in the meantime, all these legislators and the people in the working group and all those who are concerned, you can't sit on the sidelines on this one right now. We need you there. We need you out there and telling these legislators, no, you're either for human rights or you aren't. That's right. So right now what I'm for is I have been rewatching Star Trek Discovery. I'm in the um, end of season two. I have just one episode left in season two. And I have also been watching Superman and Lois. I've been watching that, too. I really like it. I really enjoy it. It's a different take. I, I really... But you know what? It's a take for the times. And it's yeah, a good I agree. take. It's agree. a really good take. And not sci-fi, but something I've been I've been binge watching. Don't judge. I'm not judging. On Peacock, the Punky Brewster reboot. Everyone's talking about Punky Brewster. And it's really and I thought that this thing was gonna be schlocky and bad, and it's really good. This was Cobra Kai level good. It was good to see the principles from the from the begin from the original show back. It was good to see the it was good to see Sole a grown up forty ish Soleil Moon Fry back. It was good to see Cherry Johnson back. I'm not gonna give it away, but there's a twist with the Cherry story. There's a but definite twist. Did you see who's behind it? Freddie Prince Jr. Yes, Freddie. As my daddy would say, you done good. You done real good. I no, I enjoyed it. You know, my BFF Maya Monet, she turned me on to it. She tweeted about it and she said, Look what Freddie Prince is up to. And uh, this is really cool. I'm I'm gonna be having to catch up to you on that. Mm. How about how about uh, right now? Did you hear that Justice League will be out 
later this month, March 18th, the Zack Snyder cut. Are you going to watch that on HBO at Max? I'm going to check it out. I'll check yeah. it out. I I've mean, I think, the, yeah, I'm not I think so sure DC's I really doing, to be hey, here's the thing. <laughs> I think DC is doing a better job with the TV than the movies. Leave the movies alone if you're DC. Cause if, cause your TV shows, most of their TV shows are really good. Plus there's news. A Star Trek Discovery writer, a writer who also wrote for Fear of the Walking Dead. She's actually a co-executive producer of both shows. She has pitched to Paramount a new concept for a new Star Trek film. We don't know who's in it. We don't know what it's about, but they're green lighting it and they're going ahead with a new Star Trek movie. Kalinda Vasquez. She, she, her name comes from one of the original Star Trek episodes, the original series. Based on the work she did on Fear of the Walking Dead, I'm interested to see what comes out because Fear of the Wa Fear of the Walking Dead threw a lot of curveballs. And I never watched it. I never seen it. I only watched the Walking Dead. Now that it's back, I'm watching it again. Fear of the Walking Dead was really was really an unsung was really an unsung gem in well, a I lot didn't... of ways. It was a it was a very different take on it because it was a it was the prequel take on what happens in a very different part of the world. But I think. That this is the type of thing that the new Star Trek franchise could use. I have a feeling it could use some. It could use a different look. Well, we have to say goodbye. Until next time, I am always excited to have a conversation with you on Zoom. I look forward to when we can actually see each other again when we're not inaugurating a new president. And uh, steady as she goes. Live long and prosper. See you next week. See. You.